Welcome to The Waggle, the official podcast of the Canadian Football League. Welcome, welcome, welcome once again to The Waggle Podcast, brought to you by us here at CFL, CFL.ca, and myself, Donovan Bennett. And man, it is week seven. We are basically halfway through the CFL season. Where has the time gone? Where did summer go to? And already we have a couple really interesting races setting up in the West and the East, both at the top and the bottom. And speaking of which, we got some good games this week. The one I've got my eye on is Toronto going to Saskatchewan. Two teams who at times have looked like they might be the best teams in the league, and at times look like they might miss the playoffs all together. They're both in playoff positions. We'll see how that plays out. And I'm fascinated to find out who's going to be on the sidelines. Full disclosure, we're taping this on Tuesday, and so there are rumors that Chris Jones could be joining the Argos. Obviously, Chris Jones is a made man in Regina for what he did for that Riders program and speaking of coaches that are beloved not just in their markets but in the cfl kahari jones is in the news for not the reason that you'd hope he's tested positive for covid19 which means he will be in isolation and resting and away from the team for a minimum of 10 days so he will miss this week's game versus bc Jones had the diagnosis late on Sunday. The team has been tested entirely. So they're going to continue to follow the social distancing guidelines and hope that it's just, you know, a somewhat isolated incident. So the question is who fills in for him? Assistant head coach and running back coach Andre Bolduc will be the man with the main headset on. But most importantly, Kahari, you're in our thoughts, you're in our prayers. Hopefully you have a speedy recovery and you and your family can remain relatively healthy and be back where we love to see you on the sidelines. Once again, love to see Sarah Oleski on the sidelines. She is going to be on the sidelines for, for me, what is going to be the game of the week, Saskatchewan and Toronto. Although runners-up might be Winnipeg, who's played so, so well against an Edmonton team that is still trying to find their way. That is the last game of the weekend. I'm going to get... Orleski to break down not just the matchup that she's going to be broadcasting, but about the Blue Bombers and that defense and how they've been, for me, the class of the league so early. All that and more next on The Waggle. And we have Sarah Orleski with us, who I have already wasted a bunch of her time sharing parenting stories as we are now in back to school season here in Canada. And the crazy thing is, Sarah, not only is it back to school, it's week seven of this CFL season. The season that seemed to just start is already because it's an abbreviated season, almost half over. My calendar is all messed up. My emotions are all messed up uh, because I'm a new dad and I'm learning uh, from you. But how have you found all of the newness going on in, in our lives? It's the juggling that's going on right now, as I'm sure anybody in particular that has children can appreciate, getting back into the swing of things in these COVID times. But hopefully, oh, anyone that's listening that has children, hopefully your kids are back in school. It's back to and that juggling and trying to get into a routine. But it is unbelievable to think of how quickly the CFL season 
has advanced in so many ways. And I think of the Labor Day game where in a traditional season, we would talk about how that's when, you know, football really, this is when everything really starts to matter. The calendar changes after Labor Day. But when you look at it this year, I mean, we're already halfway done the season, essentially. So even though it's an abbreviated and it's moving quickly and there's no shortage of storylines and, you know, some drama in the CFL. No shortage of storylines. And especially, you know, you talked about getting back to work. The game you're working this weekend, the first one that I can remember where there's so many questions um, for both teams, even though both teams have played pretty well. Uh, you are in Friday Night Football with the Argos going to the Riders. It's not as if um, those teams haven't been making news uh, this past week. Uh, and maybe we'll have a former Riders coach, Chris Jones, citing on the Argos sideline as a defensive coach or specialist as you try and prep for this game where does your mind go well that's the thing is that heading into this game originally after so I, I worked the Labor Day game in the Banjo Bowl for the Riders and Bombers and at the conclusion of the Banjo Bowl it's really the biggest question mark that I thought going into this upcoming week was what was going to happen with the Riders with Cody Fajardo and where would he be standing with in terms of concussion and what would they be looking at with all the injuries that they've had on the defensive side of the ball in particular, the questions that surround that team. And then with the news that Chris Jones you know, could be heading back to the CFL and is expected, at least in speculation, that he's going to join the Toronto Argonauts, it just adds a whole nother layer to it. And the fact that the first game potentially, I guess, that he could be involved in um, in some capacity or would be against the Riders would be, you just can't write up stuff like that <laughs> that's just that's got hollywood script makers written all over it so i think that it just it certainly adds to the intrigue and just going forward as well as to what if he does become involved in that defense you saw the reaction across the league i think especially on social media whether it be former current players or former players um that had played for Chris Jones before that some there's some real excitement and there's some real intrigue as to what sort of impact that move could have on the Argos if it comes to fruition. Immediate questions in terms of the coaching cap around salaries and what does that look like and you know, Rich Stubler who has been involved in that defense and will be calling defense his style of defense and bending and not breaking is probably the diametrical opposite of Chris Jones defense <laughs> historically, which have been very aggressive the way that Chris Jones is. And I, I, speaking of diametrical opposites, when you look at the personalities of the two men, they might be in many ways diametrical opposites other than their love of football. So, so fascinating to see how that plays out in the short and long term. And I guess the, the overriding thread between a lot of this, and I thought it was going to be, an issue this season, certainly, around what are attendances like, what players are available, but it's, it's ended up being a threat in all things is COVID and its impact. We've obviously heard about, sadly, that Kari Jones will have to be away from his team for at least 10 days because he has tested positive, reshuffling now of the Argos coaching staff, the Elks basically threw the entire schedule for a loop because of the positives within their franchise. 
you're close to the league and covering it, but also even as a person, you don't want to be too close because um, you want to make sure that you're safe. What has it been like for you to, to cover uh, a league so impacted in so many various ways by COVID-19? It's certainly been interesting. It's created some different challenges that obviously I'm not used to having to deal with in the past. So I certainly, I mean, I feel comfortable that on the average, I probably take three, depending on the week, four COVID tests um, a week, because in order to be able to do the sit downs that we do for the broadcast, and then same thing for me to be at field level for the games, I have to take COVID tests. So it's funny, actually, I'll go to different markets. And when I sit down, whoever's administering the test will say, have you done one of these before? And I think, have I done one before? This is probably my third one of the week. So I'm used to it, but it's it's just changed so many things. Um, and especially for me, from a work standpoint, it's just, it's changed the way that you're able, obviously, to interact with players. Everything being done, be virtually now for so much of it. Um, the distance aspect, which... When I'm down on the field, I mean, I'm still able to move around the way that I typically would and everything, but everything's just more cautious. Uh, but it's in particular, I find it's for the interviews that I've found the impact the most because we'll set up a microphone for the player and you stay distance. I have my own microphone, whereas typically you'd share it and I just put it back and forth between the two of us. And so one of the challenges that I've found with it is that depending on the venue, the challenge is trying to have the player hear you conversely be able to hear the player's reply as well. Because if you look and I'll take again, the last two weeks in Regina and Winnipeg as examples, well at the half, the crowd is so loud that, or post game in Winnipeg with the win crowd is so loud there that I find I'm yelling to try to have the player hear to me. And so I'm leaning in and the players, and you just, it's just changed things. I mean, small things to deal with, but it's certainly more cognizant um, of everything that's going on. But I, I also feel that my comfort level is increasing being down there just with, as you see, the numbers continuing to go up around the organizations with respect to vaccinations. So it'll be interesting to see what changes continue to happen or how it continues to evolve like everything really in society but how it continues to evolve over the back half of this season and whether or not we see different changes have to come into effect because of covid but it's certainly you just don't feel the same sort of for me connection that you typically would in a regular season right that makes sense you know the thing that i've noticed just as a viewer even though the players are potentially screaming because uh, they're hoping that you hear them, is how excited, grateful, the amount of gratitude that players have. I don't know if I've seen more players thank people like you and Farhan for the coverage and for the interview, because often, as you know, in this industry, it's at times an annoyance. Have you sensed, and the Bombers specifically, whether it's, it helps that certainly they've played really well, but how excited they've been every time they get in the end zone or make a sack. Have you noticed the players really relishing the opportunity to be back on, on the stage and do what they've been able to do, given how long they had to wait uh, to have a season? 
Absolutely. Well, first off, we, I've never felt more loved um, and appreciated by players that usually when you're walking towards them or even coaches, you know, sometimes you, you get the sense that it's, like, oh, no, here we go again. But the but this year, certainly, everybody recognizes that there's there's a genuine excitement for players to be back. And I think the classic, you know, even when you speak to players that have had significant injuries that have kept them sidelined, when they come back and they talk about how their appreciation has changed for the game, realizing that it can be taken away from them, well, for something like this to happen and to have to go for so long and to recognize that for some of them, be felt that their football careers could be done. And that's not the way that you want it, obviously, to end. But I think there is appreciation and certainly for fans. And I expect that really across the board for CFL, which has always been a very fan friendly league, but in but for sports across the board, I think we're going to see that because playing without fans or having it taken away, it's just the dynamic is so different. The energy is so different. So I think that in particular with the CFL, there's also an understanding that we are trying to continue to grow this game and being the only professional league that had stopped throughout COVID and that didn't get that season and for them to be able to come back and for fans to embrace them, they, there needs to be that, um, there needs to be that level of appreciation. I've certainly noticed that with teams as well. Um, and with the coaching staff, the, the importance of trying to, help grow the game and make it more accessible because the more whether it be on TSN or different media outlets the more attention that this league can generate uh, the better off obviously it's going to be and we know that this is a league that is looking to bring in new fans and is looking to bring in a younger demographic as well and try to appeal to them and so all of these things I feel as if there's that sense that there needs to be more of a partnership than maybe there was in the past. Yeah, I thought one of the unintended consequences, hopefully, um, of being without the ability to not just go to sporting events for a long time, but to go out to congregate for a long time is that when the league was back, it would give young people in our country with the few weeks that were left of good weather a reason to, if they hadn't before, just go to a CFL game, treat it like a patio, go and congregate, and hopefully you stay and you become a longtime fan or even a, a season ticket holder, I think given some of the scenes that I've seen uh, across the country, that it isn't as many uh, gray-haired fans, not that we don't like fans with gray hair, um, <laughs> but it, it's been some some younger demos that have been enjoying the game, so I, I love to see that. The thing that I talked about literally for months with everyone who came on the podcast leading up to the season was how of a much of a struggle the West Division was going to be to figure out, to predict, and literally to come out of because all five teams have championship expectations and really all five teams are led um, by people and groups who have won championships before, which makes it even more impressive for me that Winnipeg has started the way they have before we get to the actual play on the field what's it been like in that market to have such a long wait to celebrate defending that championship and then to have the start to the season that they've had 
Well, in some ways, I always joked that when they won the Grey Cup finally in 2019 and got, you know, and ended that painful streak for for Bombers fans was that it came at the best time because they desperately needed that win. In other, you know, on the other side, it well it came at the worst time because then you go into COVID and the league shuts down and everything, and you're not able to properly celebrate it and you're not able to build on the momentum that they certainly would have had with it because the parade, I mean, anyone that isn't in Winnipeg or that just saw it over pictures or video, it was something very much like what I expected. And to be able to see fans come out and just the support for it was tremendous. So there was a lot, but there was a lot of excitement. And I think there was a lot of anticipation for it because not only are they, did they win the Grey Cup in 2019, but there were so many familiar faces that returned. You didn't see necessarily the turnover. Despite the year away, you didn't see the turnover that you saw in some of the other rosters. And so there was a lot to, the, the continuity, I think, allowed them to build on it early and have fans excited. This is a really passionate CFL market. Those that love the CFL, you know, they bleed uh, blue and gold here. And so to be able to see them come out and, you know, they had a good crowd the first night. There's still apprehension in this market, just given, and I'm sure in every market, but just given the situation of COVID. So I think to be able to continue to see it build for that comfort level to increase for them to have the start to the season, just you continue to see the excitement build for this group. A couple of familiar faces that didn't return are in Ottawa, Paul Apelice, obviously Matt Nichols, not the start necessarily that they had hoped for. Yeah. Are you surprised that it's been less than a smooth transition to, to the Red Blacks for those two? I don't I mean, when you look at on paper, when you look at, uh, I think, what maybe all the personnel is, not really. And you know that Matt's coming off of the injury it was, and I think there were a lot of question marks surrounding maybe that group more than some of the others. So it's unfortunate. I mean, you know, just obviously having had a good relationship and working with Paula Police, both in his capacity with the Bombers and then previously when he was part of the CFL and TSN family, that you want to see them do well. And I think it's important for the league to see um, all nine teams really be able to compete. So it's been unfortunate to see this start that they've had, but We'll see how they look after the bye week and whether or not any personnel changes are coming because it's, yeah, it's certainly not the start that Paul Apolis would have envisioned, I don't think, as as head coach of the Red Blacks. Surprise for me of the league is been the quarterback in Winnipeg, Zach. And not that just he, that he's played well. It's that he's been kept pretty clean. He's looked really, really healthy. And the QB depth, which was a question mark given that Nichols and Streveler are no longer there, has looked good, and, and McGuire has, has been able to contribute. But I came into this year thinking Winnipeg is loaded. I just don't know if it was a magical run by Zach, and, and that's it. Now, a couple months into the season, I'm saying, well, he's clearly the MOP if, if we had to hand out the award now. What's it been like to see his rebirth in in Winnipeg and um, you know getting back to that dominant player that he once was? It's just the comfort level is there. Look, everything when I spoke about the continuity 
that has benefited the Bombers in the first half of the season, and certainly it's benefited the offense. Yes, Zach was only there for a few games at the end of 2019, but he, ha- you know, they have an offensive line that it, you could argue is the best offensive line in the league now. They've been able to stay healthy, which has been a b- big key, let's be honest, for the Blue Bombers as well. I mean, as, as great as everything has gone, and not to say that it wouldn't if they had suffered some injuries, but you don't know. You think of how many other teams right now are dealing with quarterback injuries, or we've seen marquee faces off of the off of either offensive or defense lines that have been injured that totally can change the dynamic of something. They've been able to have players stay healthy largely up to this point. And I think to, to see... Zach and Buck Pierce, who's in his first season as offensive coordinator, work together. It continues to be a comfort level. And Zach has spoken so highly about the culture and just the environment with the Blue Bombers that I don't know whether or not he necessarily felt that in every other organization um, over the last years. And and it's just been a it isn't always a good fit right? in, in every other organization. And it has been here. And he just he looks settled. He looks comfortable. Um, and I think that he has different weapons at his disposal with it. And he's been able, they've been able largely to keep him upright. And, and so you see this, he's now nine and one as a Winnipeg Blue Bomber starter, dating back to his time in 2019. And, and he just gets more and more comfortable and it's not, and the options that Buck Pierce has been able to have with him you know you're not just seeing you know check downs and he likes to he likes um to go downfield and he's been successful with it you think of some of the great throws that we've seen just on the money like i think of the nick dembski one in labor day um and there's a few of them so everything's just kind of coming together and i think it's a positive sign when you look at still overall how little time, I guess, Zach has been um, back there for them to already have this comfort level and for him to have that level of comfort with Buck Pierce is is a great sign for this organization moving forward. And I'd be remiss if I let you go without touching on, to me, what has been the single best unit in the league across the board, and that would be the Winnipeg defense, which I really shouldn't be surprised by given the names that, to your point, returned. Um, but when you, when you look at the schedule, specifically the teams that they've played in the West, they've played some really good offenses, and the Riders' offense was rolling up until they played eight quarters of football against Winnipeg's defense. What, for you, has been the key to them continuing You know that great stretch that they had in the playoffs a couple years ago? Well, and I wondered what we were going to see, especially early on in particular from the secondary because although they you know much of that look front seven returned and we know what Willie Jefferson and Jackson Jeffcoat can do on the ends but but they had a lot of turnover in their secondary and not just new to the organization but CFL rookies coming in as well and they've just melded well I think that Richie Hall has done a great job with this defense continues to have success with them but to me you look the three players that stand out the most, and you probably add Brandon Alexander in there as well, but to have the ability of Willie Jefferson and Jackson Jeffcoat to continue to not only 
put pressure, but just disrupt opposing offenses. I mean, you just see they're always in the quarterback's face. They're always causing issues. And Adam Big Hill, I think, has done a tremendous job this season as well. And I had asked someone about Big Hill the other day because he's just, he's always around the ball and he was, believe after week six that he's second in the league in tackles. And it's just for him, I said, to continue to do this with his number of years. And someone pointed out, he's not old. And I said, no, he's not old, but he's just, he's played so, I mean, he's got a lot of miles on him from a football perspective. And for him to continue to be able to just with the speed and the athleticism that we've seen, I just, I think that the mentality of this defense, this aggressive, they're an aggressive defense, um, they're smart defense. And it just, this culture that they have built in Winnipeg and with that group leading the way has just continued to pay dividends for them. And you spoke about, I mean, how the riders were rolling until they played against Winnipeg. And Winnipeg has had Saskatchewan's number now, I mean, for the last, say, four games going back through 2019 um, and have been able to have success with it. But they just, they, their lone loss up to this point in the season had come against Toronto. They weren't happy with the way that they played. They felt that they had just gotten off of Spren Alexander, put it their P's and their Q's, um, and that there was a real focus and, and priority for the defense to almost swarm the ball. They just wanted to make sure that when they were watching the video afterwards that you saw 12 Bombers players in the frame and that they're always hunting for it. And I think they just feed off of each other. They've, they, as good as the offense has been, as good as Zach Claris has been, um, with some of the weapons that he has, to me, when I think the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and the reason that they have been able to have the success that they've had early, I look at that defense because when the offense has struggled to get going or been sl or just slow, maybe out of the gate, um, the defense has been there to or to help them out. And that's been, it's certainly those two areas of their game have been the strongest ones so far. Special teams is a work in progress. But the defense, but but the defense certainly um, certainly has picked up where they left off in 2019. Well, both Kyle Walters and Michael Shea are special teams guys. So the fact that specials is not by far and away getting a, a grade A um, pains them both dearly. I'm I'm sure when you look at the schedule they've had, it's by far and away the toughest thus far. Faced the team that they saw in the Grey Cup to start the season in Hamilton and beat them worse than they beat them in the Grey Cup. Split that home and home with Toronto, the team that did the most over the two cumulative off seasons to refurbish their team. Calgary has been the standard for the last decade and they beat them and then obviously the team that pushed them the most last year and and looked really good to start the year and was undefeated before they saw Winnipeg and Saskatchewan and the Labor Day Classic and the Banjo Bowl. If you had to pick one other team that you think really will push Winnipeg this year, who would it be? Oh, you know, it's funny because it probably changes week to week. I would not have been, now I'm not one that likes to do predictions. So I always think that this season in particular, I found it really challenging because going in so many different teams have changed in so many. And now what I'm finding is as I'm getting more comfortable because I've, so 
I've shown up to so many games and you know, you've, you've done all your prep for it. You know, which players have switched rosters and, and organizations, but you still, there's almost an uneasiness about it. Me where I'm still trying to get back to, and go, Oh, player X. That's right. He did move over here just because there was so much movement and just took longer to get going. I find that I still am struggling on a weekly basis because after, you know, after week two in Montreal's first game and the way that the Alouettes came out against the Elks, that I thought, oh, this is going to be a look at Montreal and the way that they're going. And then you see them the next week and you think, oh, maybe it was just the, the one week. And then you see the Elks struggle, but then they play well and is first. So I think it'll be interesting to see. I'd like to see what they're able to do um, against... I'm intrigued by BC, um, just because they haven't seen them yet. And I think that um, I'd like to see what what they can do against um, Mike Riley, like from a defense perspective. And I think that this Winnipeg team, though, uh, to me right now is the class of the CFL. I think that they, they set the bar for it. They are the team that everyone... Um, not only in terms of record, but just overall should be gunning for. But I think that with that being said, um, I just think that there's there's a lot of intrigue for me as to when you see some of the teams that they haven't seen yet, how they'll be able to do against them. Because I think that you know, if you can start to see the if you can start to see BC roll um, a little bit more, that uh, that they could pose an interesting, kind of an interesting challenge for them, especially when they're out West. But just quickly to also say with that, that with all the injuries that we're seeing to quarterbacks, that also impacts it, right? Where the sudden you look and go, oh, well, if, if um, your starting quarterback is gone for any significant period of time or, um, and as much as Jake Mayer did a good job and I wouldn't put, I wouldn't hang the Calgary losses on him. It's obviously different when you have a quarterback inexperienced like him versus a Bo Levi Mitchell. So I just think that week to week, especially this year, that um, it can change. But I am intrigued to see what they do against the BC Lions. Yeah, quarterback health certainly always a question. Be carefully watching to see the scenario with Cody Fajardo, and we'll see what his availability is like for the game that you're doing this week. I, it's funny you say BC because I thought of them as well, just as a team that might build and get better as the season prolongs. Theoretically, if Mike Rowley can get healthy as the season continues to go, which is somewhat antithetical of a thought, but might be the case with him and his arm. And just as, you know, Coach Campbell is able to get his hands on that team and really impact their culture. After the Bombers play Edmonton on Friday, they bookend the month of October with BC. They start with them, uh, and then they've got a home-and-home with Edmonton, and then they finish the month with BC. So with only three games remaining after that, it'll be very interesting to see where those two teams are by the end of October. Speaking of the calendar, Sarah, we are exactly a month from puck drop in the NHL, <laughs> which is bizarre to me because I still am in denial that it's not summer and it's technically fall. <laughs> But you, um, you know, you cover both leagues closely and, you know, often wherever the Winnipeg Jets are, you are not far 
behind and we love to have you on this podcast because our listeners are not just fans of the league they are fans of you so what if anything is uh, nhl media today uh, just happened recently what if anything do you know about what it'll be like for you to cover the winnipeg jets this year and what travel might look like and what broadcasts might look like do you have an idea of how that will play out for you and how you'll be able to balance that with everything else that you are covering and you have going on in your life? Well, it's funny. So, you know, as difficult as it is to believe that the seasons on the way in training camps are set to open a week from now. And it looks so the Winnipeg Jets training camp starts on September 23rd, which is a Thursday. Well, that Sunday, the 26th is our first broadcast. Uh, so it's in the blink of an eye and then back to juggling or multiple Jets broadcasts and then multiple CFL broadcasts or at least one CFL broadcast really per week. So going back and forth between the two, which I would love to give a shout out to those in particular, the play-by-play um, guys that that do it because I never understood how it was, whether it be Chris Cuthbert, Gord Miller, Rod Black, how they were able to do multiple sports in the same week it just uh it's incredibly impressive and i don't think that necessarily they always get the credit that they deserve for the challenges that it can pose um i'm waiting to find out often multiple days of those sports in the same week i just don't and i used to always say to um chris cuthbert that especially like at least football was you were in a rhythm with it and you knew the teams by the time hockey started, but the challenge is that once the regular seasons, both you're into the groove for both of them, then I don't find it's just, it's juggling and it's tiring, but at least you're in the groove of it. The preseason games for hockey can be challenging when you're overlapping because they're, you know, you're not always dealing with players that are going to necessarily be with the big club uh, when the regular season starts. So full full props to everybody that juggles the the play-by-play is that juggle the multiple sports because that's it's really incredible. Rod Black, I think, used to throw in a third sport in there sometimes too, and it was just blew my mind. But um, one of the things that we're waiting to hear with protocols, but I think that it's I, my understanding is that it's going to go back a little bit to the way that it was before. I mean, we'll have to wear masks, but it, the expectation is that we're going to be allowed back into the dressing rooms. Um, our group is planning to travel. You know, TSN is planning to travel for the broadcast. So that will be a little bit of normalcy as well, because last season posed its own set of challenges, trying to call off of monitor and not having you know, just not being there because you miss so much not being able to actually see the full ice and just being kind of, you know, having to deal with the pictures that have been put in front of you and not being able to necessarily always add extra context that you would if you were on site. So I know that um, all of our broadcast teams are very excited about being able to be back and to have fully fans and atmosphere around. So last year, for Jets broadcast, we did all home and road broadcasts from the arena in downtown Winnipeg. And I used to joke that on road games, it would only, because it was only myself, really, Dennis Bayak and Kevin Sawyer in there, that they would be up in their booth calling the game and I would be of 
a concourse level and and I could hear them clear as day because there was nobody in the arena. <laughs> so the sound just reverberated. So even though I couldn't see them, I could hear them. And it just, it's just different. So I'm looking forward to it and hopefully just from an access standpoint, because I don't know how you found it, Nubin, but in some ways so that all of this availability over Zoom has been great if you're not in the market. So from a CFL perspective, the idea that if for my game this week with the Riders and Argos, well, if they're doing all their availability by Zoom, then I have that ability to log on and to watch and engage in a different way than what I typically would. But the challenge, especially in that individual market, is that you're at them. It's just, it's that packed journalism, right? You're at the mercy of which players they bring out, and then you all get the same sound, and you're just not able to cultivate those individual relationships or get different stories. You're just kind of at the mercy of what's presented to you. And so I think that it has the opportunity to, again, bring back some some great storytelling and some different options for people as well that hopefully fans um, enjoy and look forward to the point when whenever it is that the CFL is able to get to it as well. Because I just think that it, it obviously, it adds um, to it. That's where you find some of the great stories um, that you wouldn't always get just from from hearing them over Zoom. Yeah, I think that's the main thing for me is that group setting. Obviously, everyone comfortable and familiar being in a scrum and in a virtual setting. There are those questions, those anecdotes that you're going to pull out or extract a great story that one may not just happen when you're speaking into an iPad or a laptop or when you're speaking to an actual person, you might share a, a little bit more. But two, you know this, when you've got a great question or you really want to pull on a thread for a great you know, anecdote in a broadcast or something that you could expand and make a feature, you're generally not going to give it up so that all of your competitors in the industry could also get that piece of sound. You're going to hold it uh, for yourself. So um, I, I'm expecting maybe you know, we get more that great storytelling that you know people like me love to consume around sports just as those virtual walls begin to be broken down and reporters can do what they do best and that's have like natural conversations with the people that they're covering. It, well, so I was joking with a couple of um, Jets players that had signed last season um, and then that are no longer with the team. Where so I've never had where a player has come in, played a season with the team, and left, and I've never met them face-to-face. -face. It's, just, it's just bizarre to me, right? And so you don't have that same sort of um, connection. And the casual conversations are often the ones that produce the best stuff. And exactly what you said about not wanting really to kind of share anecdotes or little nuggets for it that's I'm very conscious of that because in this day and age where especially with social media and everybody putting everything out which I understand but if I'm doing you know if I'm wanting to ask something but it's not for a broadcast until the next day the day after you don't really want to ask it on zoom because you don't want it to already necessarily be out there before you have the opportunity to get it onto a broadcast. So it definitely changes things. We all understand that it's the way that things have had to work. And I'll take doing Zoom calls or doing everything virtually if it means that we're able to at least continue to have the sports going. 
but I look forward to the day when we get back to a little bit of more normalcy. And I just think that it'll, it'll add again to what every broadcast, regardless of sport is able to um, provide. Look out world. 2022 Sarah Lesky is coming out with only fire stories because she's been saving them for I've been so saving long. them I'm going to go back and I'm going to wear the first day of, tra- of training camps I'm just going to wear a, um, a tag that says hi my name is Sarah because that's right. it so this is the other thing though that changes too so from a CFL perspective I'm often down because I have I'm down on the field I'll still go and speak to players or try to find coaches if I need if I need something clarified um, before a game. And, you know, coaches would walk out. And now it's changed a little bit because of loosening restrictions if you're fully vaccinated. uh, So you don't see the masks worn to the same effect as what you did in the first couple weeks. But I needed to ask the first Bombers game, I needed to ask Buck Pierce something. And so I, he came out, I'd asked if he could come out. So he was, he came out onto the field, but I couldn't recognize him. I wasn't sure if it was him. I was halfway. So I was at midfield and he comes out from the bomber's tunnel and he has a hat on and, and his mask. And he might've, I think he had sunglasses on as well. So he's fully covered up and I'm looking going, is that Buck? And I've covered Buck since the first day that he played in the CFL because I used to cover the BC lines. So I've known Buck for years and he's walking out and is that him? And I don't want to go over and then have an awkward moment where I say, oh, never mind. You're not who I'm looking for. Right. But he, and so finally he waves. And so Buck, I didn't, you know, I couldn't even recognize you didn't know. And I was joking that I was looking at his calves going, do those look like his calves? Is that, <laughs> how can I figure out who this is? Because with the mask, it certainly, it changes things, right? Where, um, sometimes it's just, it can be more challenging to do that quick recognition that you normally, that you normally would have. But that was my, that was my ultimate COVID moment with him where he's walking out and I have no idea. Is that him? Is that not? Right. But that's, that's so yeah. funny. You now have to be a body posture expert. Like, <laughs> he's walking that gate. That kind of looks that's like exactly. that would be Buck. And it was the beginnings in that, oh, is, you know, and you never know having not seen some of them for an extended period. Have they lost weight? Have they gained weight? Have they changed? <laughs> so, looking, is that Buck? I'm not sure if that's Buck. But, but uh, yeah, it provided a few laughs. <laughs> that's too funny. Well, uh, we always recognize you and appreciate when we see you on our television, whether it's in a stadium or an arena. We are excited to see you once again on Friday for a big matchup with the Riders and the Argos and always giving us updates in between on all things CFL specifically when it comes to what is right now the CFL's best team, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Thank you so much for this, Sarah. I really appreciate it. Anytime. I always love being able to come on with you. Shout out to Orleski once again, whether she's covering the league or covering the Jets. She gives such great information and is able to get athletes to say a lot more than the average reporter. And that's because she's such a likable person. So we really appreciate and like when she comes on this podcast this week in terms of the games. Calgary goes to Hamilton on Friday. Doubleheader this week. Toronto goes to Saskatchewan. On Saturday, the first game at 7 Eastern is BC going to Montreal. And again, 
They'll be without Kahari Jones on the sideline. And then ending the week, Winnipeg goes to Edmonton. For all of the odds powered by Bet Regal, you can go to CFL.ca. You can also go and get your tickets from our website specifically as well. So make sure if you're not watching on television, you're getting a ticket, you're getting in the stands because, man, these games have been so, so fun this year. Speaking of our website, some real questions on injuries. We know Dane Evans won't be playing. He is... Uh, on the sixth game, but who will be starting for the Ticats? Will Jeremiah Masoli be back in that spot? What does the health situation look like for Cody Fajardo? Is you know he had to go through the concussion protocol? We have injury reports on our website as well, on top of the depth charts that you'll see closer to the games actually happening. So continue to follow CFL.ca, not only the website but our social channels on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, at CFL is the handle. Make sure you're following us for all of the breaking news. Breaking news, we'll be back in this very same place having another football conversation next week. Thanks for listening. The Waggle, the official podcast of the Canadian Football League.